Thursday, September 10th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to our first weekly preview podcast of the 2020 season. I'm your host, Matt Schauf. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, it is finally football time. You ready? Yeah, I mean, I guess we have to be. I mean, we're I got, we're always sort of flying blind in fantasy football. We're always flying more blindly in week one. I think this week one, you know, we, we know as little as, as we ever have at the start of a season. So we're going to learn a lot these first couple of weeks. We are flying, though, whether it's blind or whether we can see, whether we find out that we've been seeing clearly the whole time. Uh, we are going video this season, too. We're going to stream these live. It'll still be available as a podcast in case you're listening to it. I thought about, Jared, uh, now that we're doing video, I thought about trimming the face up a little bit before we started. But, I mean, this is the grind. This is this is what I look like during football season. I think your your, your background's excellent. I mean, there's a, there's a treasure trove of, of cool things back there. That's right. If you get tired of me talking about Blake Jarwin too much, you can decide which of the board games behind me you'd be more interested in playing than listening to my Blake Jarwin talk. Exactly. Because we're going live in the middle of Thursday, we're going to talk the Thursday games this year. We used to skip them on the preview pod, but we've got Houston at Kansas City kicking things off tonight. We've got a 54-point over-under in that game. The Chiefs are nine-point home favorites, and these two teams locked up twice last year, Jared. We got 55 total points and 82 total points from those two matchups. The second of which, of course, came in the playoffs. Houston's now down DeAndre Hopkins and Brandon Cooks might be limited, perhaps even out, although they're, quote, uh, optimistic about him. Yeah, I, w- I would cross Cooks off your list of potential guys this week. Um, he, he was he was reportedly limited throughout training camp with this quad injury. So he, even if he plays, it sounds like he's going to be on some sort of a, a snap count. I think that makes Randall Cobb at least a, a sneaky play for showdowns, maybe even if you're playing you know, the, the full DFS slate, all 16 games. I'm not sure Cobb should make it into season-long lineups quite yet, but you know, if Cooks is, especially if Cooks is out uh, completely, that boosts Cobb's target projection. Yeah, and I think if Cooks is all the way out, then and Cobb becomes a decent flex option, at least for PPR leagues. I mean, Kansas City was much tougher against wide receivers last year than against other other positions in coverage. Uh, so it's not a great matchup for Texans wideouts, but you know, just in terms of target distribution, it should be a solid spot for him. The Chiefs defense, as I mentioned, allowed the fewest wide receiver receptions in the league last year, the second fewest PPR points to the position overall. They also allowed the fifth most tight end points and were soft in run defense. So probably a better spot for guys like David Johnson, if that exists for David Johnson at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to – we might get our David Johnson answer right out of the gate. Like if he struggles in this matchup, it's going to be time to worry. Um, Kansas City 24th last year in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. They gave up 4.9 yards per carry to Arby's. They also allowed the fourth most catches to the position. So it, it's a good spot for David Johnson. Again, if he struggles in this one, time to worry about him. And if uh, David Johnson gets up at any point looking like a like a you know 50 year old man getting out of bed where he does a thing to his back and kind of does one of these stretches, that's what I'm looking for. I, I think we'll yeah. see some of that from David Johnson tonight. Hope, hope not, but yeah, we'll see. On the Chiefs side, they're now without Damian Williams, of course, who has opted out for this season. He scored three touchdowns in that playoff matchup. Clyde Edwards Elair is now in that place. Should be the clear lead back. Daryl Williams, the number two. Obviously, we're starting Edwards Elair. Do you think Daryl Williams is kind of on the fringe this week? Yes, yeah, so there, there's been talk from 
a couple different Chiefs beat areas, actually, that, you know, we, we might see more of Daryl Williams, at least in week one, than people are expecting. Um, so I, I would say you're, you're starting Clyde Edwards Alaire, you know, Chiefs at home, big implied team total, good matchup. The Texans 26 and adjusted fantasy points allowed to RBs last year. The Texans allowed the second most catches and receiving yards to running back. So we could see Clyde Edwards Alaire have a big game in the passing game right out of the gate. So you're starting him. Don't panic if you see Williams steal, you know, eight to 10 carries. Um, I think Darrell Williams is in play for DFS showdowns. Um, outside of that, I don't think he should be in fantasy lineups in, in you know, season long leagues. I agree. The Texans have finished three straight seasons rated higher in run defense than in pass defense, according to Football Outsiders. So I would not be reaching too far for Daryl Williams. On the passing side, I'll believe in the Houston secondary when it proves that I should. So, I mean, it's obvious that you're starting the studs for Kansas City. I think Sammy Watkins is a deeper consideration, although I would sure like to not have to trust Sammy Watkins in week one of this season. Yeah, Watkins a guy I like in DFS showdowns. I think, you know, McCall Hardman was the more popular guy in drafts all summer. I think Hardman is probably more popular in DFS lineups on Thursday night. Um, in that playoff game last year, Houston, Kansas City, Sammy Watkins played 87% of the snaps. Demarcus Robinson was next at 57%. McCall Hardman played just 16%. I'm going to be watching, you know, the usage between those three guys very closely. Hopefully we get an answer to, you know, how Watkins and Hardman especially are going to be used. But in season long, I, I would try to avoid all those guys. And by the way, if you go to DraftSharks.com now, you can find DFS showdown tips for that game. If you're a DS insider, of course. Miami at New England on the Sunday slate, an over-under of just 42 points. Patriots are six-and-a-half-point favorites. I don't know if anybody told Vegas that Tom Brady moved on, but they still see a big gap between these division rivals. Even though Miami played New England tough, Week 17 last year, Ryan Fitzpatrick went there and threw for 320 yards and a touchdown. He ran for another one. Devontae Parker had a big outing, eight catches, 137 yards. Basically one of the only guys to get over on Stephon Gilmore last year. I'm still not too interested in using Ryan Fitzpatrick or Devontae Parker in this matchup, though. No, me either, especially Fitzpatrick. Um, yeah, he exploded in that season finale. He also threw for 89 yards, zero touchdowns, and three interceptions before getting benched in the first meeting against the Patriots early in the season. The Patriots were the toughest defense against quarterbacks last season. They returned their top three corners. So, I, you know, the run defense might take a step back this year. I think the pass defense is going to be strong again. So, no Fitzpatrick. Parker's a tough call. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. he beat Gilmore late last season. It's still a tough matchup, though. Parker also dealt with a hamstring injury late in August. He was limited in Wednesday's practice. It sounds like he's going to play, but, you know, there, there's some risk of re-injury there. There's some risk that his snaps are scaled back a bit. So, you know, Parker sits in wide receiver three territory in our rankings this week. So you, you drafted him in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. You might have to start him, but at least dial back expectations. And, and he is benchable if you have you know better options. People tend to say it's week one, start your studs. We don't really know anything yet you got to consider who are actually your studs. And I would say that where you likely drafted Devontae Parker, I wouldn't call him a stud right now. If, if it was round six, round seven, that's not stud territory. If, if, if we're talking about a round three wide receiver, then go ahead and take a shot on him. But, you know, I mentioned Stephon Gilmore. He's allowed sub 50% completion rates in coverage each of the past two years, according to Pro Football Focus. He allowed just a 48.0 passer rating on throws into his coverage last year and 70.6 passer rating or lower in coverage three of the past four seasons. So Stephon Gilmore is simply either the best corner in the league or at the very least one of the top few corners in the league. So it's a bad matchup, you know, way Devontae Parker against who your other options are, but at the very least, we like him a lot less than we normally would in this matchup. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the combination of the matchup and the hamstring injury that sort of would have me potentially benching him. Um, I think Preston Williams should be on fantasy benches too. Um, he is obviously coming off the torn ACL last year, was still limited in Wednesday's practice. So he's another guy I think is not going to play the full allotment of snaps. And even if Stephon Gilmore is on Devontae Parker, it's still a tough matchup for Preston Williams against J.C. Jackson, who actually by some metrics on uh, Pro Football Focus was even better than Stephon Gilmore last season. Mike Jasucki was also limited Wednesday with his own injury situation. I think we all know what I'd be doing if in the, you know, rare place in this other dimension where I have Mike Jasucki on my team. Uh, what would you be doing with him this week, Jared? He could he could see a bunch of targets. If we're talking about Parker and Preston Williams being banged up and having tough matchups, um, New England was good against tight ends last year too. I don't know what the loss of Patrick Chung means for that. I don't know if he was their primary tight end coverage guy, but um, even though it's not a good matchup, I think Asiki is you know probably one of the better target bets outside you know the top five, six, seven tight ends this week. I'm very curious to see just how much of a target bet he is this year because I, I've heard absolutely nothing from camp about him. Maybe he had a good camp, maybe he didn't, but I heard absolutely nothing in either direction. Yep, me either. Matt Breida, I think, is a guy to not forget. I'm, I'm certainly not excited about him in the matchup, but you know, going up against a, an iffy group of linebackers for the Patriots at the very least, they let Kyle Van Noy walk in free agency. They let Landon Roberts walk. Then they lost Dante Hightower uh, to opting out for the season. So they've got some young guys that they're working in that haven't started a whole lot of games, some rookies that are in the mix. I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Breida has a solid role in this game plan, and especially when they're going on the road, they're six-and-a-half-point underdogs. He could be a particularly important player for the Dolphins, at least in terms of getting more targets than you might project for him. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, again, I think this Patriots run defense might be one that, you know, we're at least not scared of this season. You're not saying it's going to be one to attack, but we'll, we'll see about that. Um, I, I still think Jordan Howard, though, is going to be like the, the Dolphins early down lead ball carrier. Now, th- this sets up better for Breda with Miami being, you know, almost touchdown underdogs. Because I do think Breda is going to be, you know, the playing from behind pass catching back. Um, I'm not super excited about either this week, though. I try to avoid the situation and, you know, we'll, we'll learn a bit more about the usage in this uh, week one game. Yeah. I I would like to not have to use a Dolphins back as well, but I would use Matt Breida over Jordan Howard. And there are some other iffy situations like Detroit is one that we'll talk about coming up where I think I might go ahead and try Matt Breida over any of the options in the Lions backfield, if that's a decision. Well, yeah, that's probably going to be a theme of these podcasts all year. It's like, we don't really want to use these running backs, but at some point down the line, you know, they are options. Yeah, we'll try to put them in context, especially as we get more context to actually put these things in. On the Patriots side for this one, Cam Newton's a bit low in our week one rankings. And really, at least from my standpoint, it's just because we really don't know what to expect at this point. I mean, we've seen Cam Newton play plenty of football. We know that the Patriots have smart coaches. We're going to assume that they have a plan that uses Cam Newton well, and it sounds like he's healthy, but we've never seen Cam Newton in New England, and he barely played football last year. So there's a chance that he's rusty this week. Yeah, and I'm just in general, I'm not excited about Newton's passing prospects this season. Um, It's just, you know, the the pass catching core in New England isn't really any different than what we we saw last year. And we saw Tom Brady unable to really do much with that group. But the question, obviously, is what the Pats are going to, I guess, allow Newton to do on the ground. There were a few reports in August, you know, that New England has kind of 
tailored its offense to fit Cam Newton, which shouldn't come as a, as a surprise, but it's nice to hear that, you know, they're, it, it seems like they're going to let him use his legs, which is obviously the smart thing to do. And if that's the case, then he doesn't need big passing numbers to be a fantasy option. If he's running for, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards a game, um, he's going to be someone we're interested in. So uh, mat- matchup is obviously okay here. I think Newton, you know, it should be in lineups at least in two quarterback leagues. I think he's on the fringes in one quarterback leagues. Mm-hmm. And of course, 50 rushing yards per game is not out of the question. That's 800 yards for the season. So that'd be really high for a quarterback, but we know that a healthy Cam Newton can do that. We'll see yep. exactly how healthy that foot is and how ready he is to get back to, to regular running Cam Newton. Those receiving options to talk about Julian Edelman was limited Wednesday. He's got a knee issue. I'm not worried at the moment because he was limited Wednesday and we're into now questionable Patriots season. I mean, there's going to be uh, 18 Patriots questionable on every injury report from here on. Yeah, I would expect to see Edelman on the injury report most weeks this year. He's fully expected to play as far as we know. Um, he, he's the only Patriots wide receiver I'd want in fantasy lineup this week. In the slot, he should avoid uh, Miami's top two corners, Byron Jones and, and Xavier Howard, if, if Howard's going to play. I'm not sure on that one yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how Miami stacks up as a matchup at this point because they certainly have talent at corner this year. So there's a, a chance they could be tougher on wide receivers than we're used to. The backfield, not as crowded as it will be at some points because Damian Harris is out for at least three weeks. Sony Michelle is back, but he could be limited. He missed a lot of camp following his offseason foot surgery. It looks like James White is the top option. Try to avoid others, but there's, there's some late Rex Burkhead buzz too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, White's the one I'd be interested in playing here. Um, obviously, in PPR, even in non-PPR, James White's my favorite options here. I, I just think there's a chance he plays a bigger ball carrying role than what we usually see with Sony Michelle, like you said, only having a couple weeks of practice under his belt. Damian Harris out. Rex Burke had a guy who the Patriots, you know, never seem willing to give like a big ball carrying role. So, you know, White could get you know, eight to 10 carries in this game and also see a handful of targets. Um, I'd try to avoid the other guys. Michelle, you'd probably just be hoping for a touchdown. Um, ESPN's Mike Reese did say he expects Michelle to be eased in. So, you know, don't expect him to get his usually, you know, 15 plus carries on Sunday. I mean, if it's an option, I might even play Rex Burkhead over Sony Michelle because Sony Michelle on a lighter workload is a goal line back yeah. with 10 carries. I mean, that's a, a total boom bust proposition. And Rex Burkhead it gets red zone usage and James White. All we have to do is look back two years. I think it was 2018 where he was not only very busy as a, as a receiver, but also I believe he had four red zone rushing touchdowns that year. So that was a big part of his spike in production. So we know that the Patriots will use all of those guys in the red zone. I would definitely try to sit Sony Michelle. I, like you said, James White easily the favorite, but I think I might go Rex Burkett as the second one if that's an option. Yeah, the, the Patriots have J.J. Taylor on their roster, too, the you know small pass-catching rookie. He, he, he could steal some passing down snaps as well. If you have a slot in your lineup where you need a Happy Meal toy, J.J. Taylor would be a nice <laughs> yeah. <pick> there. <laughs> right. Cleveland at Baltimore, unless you want to talk about the Patriots tight ends. No, no thanks. The Browns at the Ravens, 48-point over-under. Ravens are 7.5-point home favorites. It's the kind of game positioning Cleveland as lopsided underdogs that doesn't favor a running back like Nick Chubb, but we don't really know about these teams yet. I mean, heading into the season, we expect Baltimore to be one of the best teams in the league to have a strong defense. We also don't know about the new Browns coaches tendencies. So maybe they're just going to run the hell out of the ball, even if they're trailing. And last year we did see Nick Chubb have a monster game at Baltimore early in the season in a game that the Browns surprisingly won. He rushed 20 times, 165 yards, three touchdowns in that game. And they won, of course, amid the season where Baltimore otherwise dominated pretty much everybody. So, I mean, if I drafted Nick Chubb, I'm not sitting him here. 
Yeah, you're not sitting him. I mean, you know, I, I guess because of that ceiling that he showed in that first meeting. Now, that, that of course, came without Kareem Hunt. In the second meeting with Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb carried 15 times for 45 scoreless yards, caught zero passes on one target. So that, that's kind of the floor. You know, we, we saw the ceiling and the floor in this matchup for Chubb last year. If nothing else, this game should be a good display of what we're going to get from Nick Chubb, you know, in games where the Browns are trailing this season. You know, we'll see just how much he's going to lose to Kareem Hunt. Now, Kareem Hunt, I would love to not have to use him. Obviously, yeah. he, he was going in round five, round six in a lot of places, so he very well might be in that mix. I would really love to be able to wait a game, though, and see what his role is going to be as the second running back before yeah. chucking him in my lineup. Yeah, Hunt had two carries and four catches on four targets in that one game against the Ravens in the second half of last season. Um, yeah, you know, just in this matchup, against tough Ravens defense, just not a lot of upside really to to either of these backs. And this is the kind of situation that would have been good to get preseason. So we could see how early in the first team reps Kareem Hunt's getting on the field. If he's clearly behind Nick Chubb or if, you know, they're closer than we might think, but we didn't get that. So we're, those are the things we're going to be gauging as the season begins. Right. Jarvis Landry's two meetings with the Ravens last year went pretty well. Eight catches for 167 in the first seven catches for 74 in the second He's a little bit low in our rankings this week, but I would feel pretty solid about using Jarvis Landry this week. Yeah, and he, you know, he had a healthy summer after that February hip surgery. Um, I, I haven't seen anything about his snaps being limited in Week One, so I, yeah, I think he's a uh, fine. You know, again, the upside's kind of limited in the matchup, but you know, he, he's a good bet for Valium, and like you said, did pretty well against this Ravens secondary last season. Odell Beckham racked up a whopping 20 receiving yards in the first meeting of 44 receiving <laughs> yards in the second last year with the Ravens. We finally this time get our first look at a healthy Odell Beckham with the Browns. Where you had to draft him, this is when we're talking about start your studs territory because maybe we'll look back on this Baltimore matchup and say, well, you just don't want to play wide receivers against Baltimore. But right now, we don't know that. I mean, they have good corners, but they don't have a scary individual matchup at cornerback. So if I drafted Odell Beckham, I'm playing him this week and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, like you said, struggled against Baltimore last year, but we know he wasn't healthy at all last season. You know, I think if if OBJ is gonna gonna bounce back this season, and I'm sort of leaning that he he's gonna, um, I think he'll he'll produce better against Baltimore this season than he did last. No thanks on Baker Mayfield though, if I can help it. No, definitely, definitely not. Austin Hooper sits right about in our week one rankings where he did in the preseason rankings. He doesn't get into the top twelve, and I, I certainly wouldn't be excited about using him this week. But if he's your top tight end you know, it's, he's an okay option. Yeah. Again, like we said with all these Browns guys, just, you know, limited touchdown upside, or I guess more, more limited than usual for these Browns guys in the matchup. But Hooper, it sounds like he had a strong camp. You know, it sounds like he built chemistry with Baker Mayfield right away. Um, so I, I think he's going to play, you know, a big role in this offense. And the Ravens lost Earl Thomas, who you know, I think was at least part of their tight end coverage last season. Yeah, lost him on purpose. On the Baltimore side, I think you got to play Mark Ingram over J.K. Dobbins in the opener if you did draft both of them. I would be very curious to see what J.K. Dobbins' usage is right away, though. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, we talked about running back and how it drops off. I think Dobbins is in, like, RB3 territory mm-hmm. in our ranking, so he's an option you know, at some point. I think, you know, he gets maybe 8 to 10 carries in this game. I think we're sort of expecting him to play the Gus Edwards role out of the gate. But Ingram, definitely the, the better bet among the two, you know, this is definitely a time to play him early in the season where he is still top the depth chart. If I drafted Marquise Brown, I'm going to go ahead and use him. I mean, we'll see, and he's not super high in our rankings, but definitely inside the top 30 and as high a ceiling as, you know, anybody that was going after round three. So I'd be going ahead and plugging him in seeing what we, what we're working with this year. Yeah. Buzzy summer for Marquise Brown, obviously this, 
is probably the healthiest he's been as a pro, you know, healthier than he was at any point last season. So a pretty tough matchup against the Browns, Greedy Williams, Denzel Ward. Um, but yeah, I think as long as Brown's healthy this season, he, he should be in lineups because he has that weak winning upside. Obviously, the Mar Jackson, Mark Andrews are every week guys. We're not gonna, really going to be talking about them a whole lot in this podcast. And that's really it for me yeah. among Ravens in this game. Yeah, Miles Boykin is the guy to monitor, see what mm-hmm. kind of role he plays, see how much volume he gets in week one, but definitely not a week one fantasy option. Despite the big line in favor of Baltimore, the Browns are actually tied for just the ninth lowest implied total among all the teams. So I'm definitely starting the Ravens D. There is some downside risk in case this Cleveland offense is ready to like combine all of the individual talent and actually put together a good team. Yeah, it's also an offense with a new coaching staff and some new pieces on the O-line. So it, it's a, I think it's a volatile unit for week one. Could kind of go in either direction. For sure. Jets at Buffalo, an over-under of 39 and a half, a fantasy wasteland. The Bills are six and a half point home favorites, though. The Jets carry the week's lowest implied total by more than a point. There is absolutely no better Team D option than the Bills at home this week. Yep, agreed there. Um, I think on the Jets, it's Jamison Crowder, Chris Herndon, and Le'Veon Bell, the only guys you're even considering. And Chris Herndon would not be in strong consideration for me. The Bills allowed the fewest and second fewest PPR points to tight ends over the past two years. Yeah. So for me, it's really Bell and Jamison Crowder. And then if I need any other Jets, I'm I'm not happy in week one. Yeah, tough matchup for Herndon, but you got to think he's a good target bat. Um, you know, he had the buzzy summer. It seemed like he was clicking with Sam Darnold. Um, and again, you know, it, it looks like Rashad Perriman and Denzel Mims are going to play or at least be active for this game. Both of them missed the majority of August. They're both new to the team. You know, Denzel Mims, obviously a rookie. Plus, one of those guys is going to be dealing with Tredavious White. So he's going to be completely canceled out. So I just think it's it's a, a volume play for Chris Herndon. I think, you know, he's a good bet for like five, six, seven targets in this game. Jamison Crowder loaded up on volume against the Bills last year. 14 catches for 99 yards in the opener, 8 for 66 and a touchdown in Week 17. Not a great bet for efficiency, but a, a, a very good bet for target volume in this one. Yeah, and again, you know, Crowder in the slot, so he won't see Tredavious White. So that that you know that that that's what pushed targets his way last year, and I expect the same thing on Sunday. Yeah, and it's targets to Le'Veon Bell for me too. I'm certainly not expecting yeah. good things, but plenty of of uh, passes flying his way. Yeah, Valiant play. I mean, you, if you drafted Bell in the third or fourth round, you're, you're starting him this week. On the Bills side, you start Josh Allen if you drafted him. And week one of last year is really a good illustration of why. He threw for 254 yards and one touchdown, two interceptions. But he also ran for 38 yards and a touchdown. So he pulled that out even in a bad game and even in a come-from-behind win for the Bills in that one. The Jets were no pushover on defense overall last year. They, they finished 11th in overall DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. But they could be bad this year. Right? We'll, we'll see how they go. C.J. Mosley is out for a second straight season. It was injury last year. Now he's opted out this season. And they traded away Jamal Adams, their best player from last year. So there's definitely nothing to be scared of on the Jets' defense, even if it ends up being better than we might expect. Yeah, and the Jets are started to slate P- to start Pierre Desir and Austin Blesson at outside cornerback. Never even heard of Austin Blesson. Um, so bit, big edge to Stephon Diggs and John Brown. So yeah, Allen brings that rushing upside. He also has the potential to do a lot more in the passing game than he did in that matchup last season. Uh, the Jets D was terrible against wideouts last year. 27th against wide receiver ones in football outsiders coverage DVOA. 24th against wide receiver twos. Stephon Diggs is a top 24 option. If you drafted him, he would be in my lineup if he's on my team. It's also a good spot for John Brown down in the low and wide receiver three range, flex range. You know, I'm a little apprehensive about starting a number two Josh Allen wide receiver, (laughs) but 
there are not going to be too many better spots for John Brown than against the Jets, which was also yeah. the number two run defense last year. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, Brown's number two on the depth chart. I wouldn't be shocked if he leads the Bills and targets this week, just, you know, with it being Stefan Diggs's first game with Josh Allen and the Bills in the, you know, shortened off season. So I, you know, the, the, the gap in targets, especially out of the gate might not be too wide between Diggs and John Brown. I'd love to not need to use a Buffalo running back here, yeah. but if I do, I guess we got to start with Devin Singletary over Zach Moss. Yeah, tough matchup, like you said. Uh, the Jets allowed just 3.2 yards per carry through running backs last year. We don't know exactly how the work's going to be divvied. I would bet on it being Singletary just, you know, as as the, you know, I guess, quote-unquote veteran, the one-year veteran. Uh, but another situation I think we'll be monitoring closely how Singletary and Zach Moss are used in week one. Yeah, we'll call him the incumbent. Yes. Anybody else here? No, I mean, Dawson Knox is a guy, you know, I think was on the fringes of being draft-worthy. Yeah, I mean, not – not, not a spot to use him and, you know, it should be a low scoring game with the Bills. Won't need to pass a whole lot. Yeah, the Jets were tough against uh, tight ends in scoring each of the past two years, but Jamal Adams is gone. So I think that's yep. going to be different this year. That said, four targets for Dawson Knox is not going to push him <laughs> up my rankings. And we're going to talk about a lot more tight ends. It's a pretty densely packed position this week. Yes, it is. Seattle at Atlanta, 49 point over under. Seahawks are two point road <laughs> favorites, and that's up from a one point open. Russell Wilson and Chris Carson don't really need to be addressed here, I don't think. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf are also both starters on nearly all the teams where they were drafted. I will be curious to see if this Falcons D is trending upward. They're they're basically so. First of all, last year they did climb an overall DVOA from 30th in 2018 to 17th last year. So you know, not a good defense, but mid pack at least. This year, the the big difference for them, uh, in addition to adding Dante Fowler on the edge. They're going to basically run three starting safeties. They get Keanu Neal back from injury. Ricardo Allen is still around. And DeMonte Kazee can either play safety or um, slot corner. So he could be like their version of Teron Matthew. I'll be interested to see if it changes anything on the coverage side for them. Again, it's not impacting any of my lineup decisions for Seahawks, though. Yeah, Vegas obviously expecting a high-scoring game, like you said. Seattle with one of the higher implied totals of the week at 25 and a half right now. So you're starting all your usual guys. You know, the only spot on the Seahawks we're not sure about yet is how the tight ends will be, uh, you know, used with Greg Olson there, Will Disley, Jacob Hollister made the final roster. So it's an avoid uh, for week one, and, you know, we'll see what the usage looks like. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. On the Atlanta side, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Todd Gurley, all basically auto-starts. For most lineups, Hayden Hurst is the the first slight question mark for me. So if you look at the overall numbers, Seattle allowed the second most tight end PPR points last year, but they ranked just 18th in points per target. So it was a lot of volume driven um, production there. They also finished each of the previous three seasons among the nine toughest scoring matchups for tight ends. And they, of course, traded for Jamal Williams or not Jamal Williams, Jamal Adams, who drove that stingy Jets tight end defense that I just mentioned a few minutes ago, each of the past two years, that defense was among the bottom three in points allowed to tight ends each of the past two years. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Seattle actually ranks among the tougher tight end scoring matchups this year. I would be a little bit more apprehensive about starting Hayden Hurst this week, depending on who my other options are. If I have him and say Blake Jarwin, for example, who we'll talk about in a while, I am absolutely starting Blake Jarwin over Hurst without a hesitation. Of course you are. That's no surprise. Um, Yeah, we'll see about the Seahawks tight end defense with Jamal Adams. Adams was seventh among all safeties in PFFs coverage grades last season so he definitely should upgrade them there um you know Hurst did have a strong camp we know he spent time with Matt Ryan back in the spring even so there should be you know I guess 
more chemistry there than you'd expect from a first year guy in this off season. So, you know, Hurst in low end tight end one territory, if it took him as your first tight end, I'm fine with him uh, in week one lineups. You know, again, it's a, it's a good scoring environment. We expect, we expect plenty of points in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't reach too far to get somebody ahead of him, but another guy that I like better than our rankings do this week is Jack Doyle. And I think he's got a higher floor than Hayden Hurst for this matchup. Yeah, higher floor. I agree with you there. Um, Russell Gage, by the way, was limited in Wednesday's practice with a groin injury. We'll keep an eye on that. But, you know, if he's out, not a not a you know big deal, but it could push a few more targets to Hurst in the middle of the field. Yeah, I mean, it certainly helps the target count for Hurst on a team that throws it sixty times a game. <laughs> right. And while we're talking tight ends, by the way, Matt Roma from Facebook wants to know whether he should start Chris Herndon or Eric Ebron. Uh, we haven't gotten to Ebron's game yet. I would probably lean Herndon and PPR, Ebron and non PPR. Uh, yeah, that's that seems good to me. I mean, I think Ebron's the better touchdown bet, but I think Hernan's pretty safely the better target bet and comes with a higher floor, especially in PPR. Yeah, that's my thinking between them. Anybody else from the Atlanta-Seattle game before we move on? Nope. Chicago at Detroit, 43.5 point over under. The Lions are three-point home favorites. That's up from a one-and-a-half point open. So for some reason, people don't believe in Mitchell Trubisky. Now, we were talking tight ends. I think this match- matchup features another tight end that could be an option over Hurst. And you maybe you do have TJ Hawkinson and Hayden Hurst on the same roster. The Bears were just mid-pack in tight end coverage last year, according to Football Outsiders. There has been some concern over TJ Hawkinson's ankle that was injured at the end of last season. It ended his season early. Uh, and, and he admitted this summer that it was not all the way back to 100%. But he was also practicing through it. It didn't seem to limit his availability at all. And there's been some buzz about how TJ Hawkinson looked. Uh, as he was working and at how he was being used in team drills. So uh, an upside player for sure, uh, a first round pick from last year. And we'll kind of see this week exactly what we're getting from TJ Hawkinson in year two. Yeah. That ankle report was like at the very start of camp and then everything else about Hawkinson after that was positive. Like you know, he, he had, he had a strong camp. It doesn't sound like the ankle was an issue. So I, I definitely think he's in play this week. Uh, DeAndre Swift looking like he'll be healthy enough to play. That's been a question, but he did practice Wednesday. It, it makes this backfield crowded. I mean, him, on Johnson, of course, Adrian Peterson arrived recently. The Bears did remain a top 10 defense overall and top 10 against the run last year. I would really love to not use any Lions back this week. Yeah, Swift was still limited on Wednesday. It's a hip injury he's dealing with. We, we didn't know, you know, what lower body part it was. So it's a hip for him. Um, you know, Karrion Johnson's had the knee brace on all summer. They signed Adrian Peterson. And uh, Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press reported that the Lions told AP to, you know, get ready for a significant workload in week one. So I wouldn't even be surprised if Peterson led the Lions in, in carries in week one. Total avoid situation for me this week. Can I say thank goodness for the regular season starting up and requiring injury reports from these teams so that we can get away from this ridiculous 2020 trend of lower body and (laughs) upper body issues like we're playing hockey here. Yeah, exactly. It's nice. It's annoying. Kenny Galladay has a hamstring issue. He was limited in practice Wednesday. It's worth tracking, but I mean, if he was limited in Wednesday's practice, it points to him likely playing this weekend. And I think where you drafted Kenny Galladay, you probably have to go ahead and use him if he's active, you know, barring some report on Sunday that it was a game time decision and he's iffy. Yeah, Galladay scored in both games against the Bears last year, including a 158 yard game on Thanksgiving. And both those games came without Matt Stafford, who's now healthy. So, yeah, I mean, even even I'm starting Kenny Galladay if I have him, which I don't think I have a single share of Kenny Galladay. So hopefully he doesn't have a big year. You really shouldn't have him this year. It'd be kind of <laughs> off brand at this point. Yeah, exactly. 
Marvin Jones posted usable fantasy lines as well in each meeting with the Bears last year. As you mentioned, no Matthew Stafford in either of those. And Marvin Jones only totaled 11 targets in those two games, six and one, five in the other, was still decent production-wise in both of those games. So I, th- I think he's in play this week as well. Yeah, wide receiver three, that's where Jones is going to be most weeks. We know he's a volatile player, so just know that if you're putting him in your starting lineup. Yes. On the Bears' side, Mitchell Trubisky will be the starter. He tossed three touchdown passes in each meeting with Detroit last year. Probably why Matt Nagy's starting him, because he just he eats Lions for dinner. Um, and the three touchdowns in the first one even came while Trubisky was taking five sacks in that game. He posted his two best passer ratings of the season in those two matchups, matchups against Detroit, which doesn't seem like it got a whole lot better on defense this offseason. They did add Deron Harmon at safety. You know, we'll see how much of a difference that makes, but it doesn't look like it's going to be a good defense. Uh, there is top 12 upside, I think, to Trubisky this week. That said, I don't think I would have the guts to actually start Trubisky on a season-long roster. No, yeah, I mean, if you look at the numbers blindly, you know, Trubisky's finish is a top nine fantasy quarterback in each of his last three games against the Lions. Now the Lions defense might be you know even worse now than it was then without Darius Slay. Um, but it's still Mitchell Trubisky. It's week one. There's no bye weeks. Like if you, if you want to toss him in a DFS lineup, I get that. But I um, mean, you know, out, outside of two quarterback leagues or super flex leagues, I don't think he should be in fantasy lineups. And I will absolutely toss Mitchell Trubisky in some DFS lineups. But like I said, I, I don't think I have the the cojones yeah. to go ahead and start him at my one quarterback slot in a full season league. Yeah, you just, you just shouldn't need to. You know, maybe if there are bye weeks, it'd be a different story. Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller, both much easier to start, I think, than their quarterback. Maybe that's the way to try to buy into Mitchell Trubisky this week because they're both good players. Allen Robinson's a must, and Anthony Miller, I think, is in a solid spot. Yeah, Miller's a guy I'm, I'm super curious to see what he does early this season because we know he had that hot stretch near the end of last year. That included a nine-catch, 140-yard game against the Lions on Thanksgiving. He also cooled off, though, over the last couple games of the season. Then he had another shoulder surgery this offseason, was limited for most of training camp. So, I mean, he, he sits outside starter territory in our week one rankings. He has upside, as he showed in that game against the Lions last year. It's a good matchup again this year. Um, so I, I guess more of a DFS play for me. I would try not to use Miller in season long. Yeah, I would have a hard time. So I'm not chasing after him for my uh, redraft lineup, but if I'm deciding between him and Sammy Watkins, I think Miller's probably, actually, I I just brought that one up, and I don't know who I would go with between Anthony Miller and Sammy Watkins. I'd probably go with the guy catching balls from Patrick Mahomes and not Mitchell Trubisky, but (laughs) I I think um, David Montgomery's status, though, is going to have an impact on, you know, how we project Trubisky and how we project these wide receivers. Cause if Montgomery can't go, I mean, it's, it's Tree Cohn and Ryan Nall in Chicago's backfield. I just, I, you know, can't, I, they would have to lean towards the pass in that case. Now Montgomery was limited on Wednesday. So it does seem like he has a chance to play this weekend. Yeah. And that's what I was about to say with, with Anthony Miller, I was going to call him a better bet for targets, but if one's playing with Patrick Mahomes and the other is playing with Mitchell Trubisky, it's tough for me to say that the Trubisky wideout is a better option. Tariq Cohen's fine. Uh, you know, we'll watch David Montgomery's status. Jimmy Graham. I'm curious about, I would rather wait through week one to see what his role is going to look like, but it sure sounds like the bears want to give him plenty of targets and it's a, a fine matchup for him. Yeah, there was one report that uh, Graham was the best player in Bears training camp this season, which is not good news if you're a Bears fan. But um, tough individual matchup here for Graham against Tracy Walker, who supposedly had some really you know good battles with Hawkinson. It was like the only guy who could uh, slow Hawkinson down in, in training camp this summer. 
Tracy Walker, I, I've been surprised that he's not getting drafted higher in IDP leagues. So if you did get him, enjoy because he's going to give you big numbers. Nice. Anybody else in this game before we move on? No, I'm, again, I think Tree Cohen is interesting, especially if Montgomery's out. It could sort of be like a James White situation where the Bears are just sort of forced to give Cohen more ball-carrying volume if uh, Montgomery doesn't go. And it's a good matchup in the passing game for Cohen. Um, the Lions allowed the third most receiving yards and tied for the most receiving touchdowns allowed through running backs last season. Yeah, I did bring in Jamie Collins at linebacker, so I would like to think that that will help their coverage against running backs. But, you know, we'll see. There's, I'm certainly not betting on the Lions' defense stopping anybody in particular yet. Las Vegas at Carolina. I'm going to keep practicing saying Las Vegas for the Raiders. It's a 47 and a half point over under Raiders are three point road favorites. That's up from a one and a half point open could be a sneaky source of offense. This entire game uh, last year's defense is the Panthers ranked 26th in overall DVOA. The Raiders finished 31st. Both teams made some big changes on that side of the ball, but they certainly need to prove that they're not doormats this year. Yeah, this is definitely my sneaky or I guess hopefully sneaky like DFS game of the week. I, I think I'll probably end up stacking both sides, you know, both passing games in this game. I think, you know, both offenses are better than both defenses. Um, the Panthers secondary looks like a, a major issue, a major, you know, weak spot to attack. They're starting Dante Jackson, who really struggled last year. They're starting a fourth round rookie, Troy Pride. They're likely going to be starting Rasul Douglas, who the Eagles uh, cut. So um, good spot for Henry Ruggs, especially Brian Edwards, I think, at least in DFS is a sneaky option. Hunter Renfro is a guy I, I'm never excited about, but again, uh, volume should be there and the matchup's good. Yeah. Diet Cole Beasley. When he gets in there, you know that it's a bad secondary. Uh, and I agree. Dante Jackson, at least is a former second round pick. And he was, he was dealing with an injury through a lot of last season. So there's upside to him, but overall that secondary has major questions to answer. I agree. Henry Ruggs, especially, I love the upside on him this week. I think even looking at the wide receiver rankings, uh, getting ready for this show, I think we probably need to move him up a little higher because the only question is how many targets he gets. And I think the answer, you know, until we actually get the real answer is we should expect the Raiders to target him a pretty good bit after they chose him ahead of CeeDee Lamb and ahead of uh, Jerry Judy. And now it's him and Darren Waller and not a whole lot else in terms of proven targets. Yeah, I would be I would be pretty excited to use Ruggs as you know, like my wide receiver three or, or flex in season long leagues. And again, I think he's definitely a nice DFS tournament play. I like Derek Carr as well. I would like him more if there weren't so many quarterback options. Yeah. And if he weren't traveling across the country and playing at one o'clock. You know, we'll see how much that matters, but it's at least a question more than some other quarterbacks might have. Yeah, at least a nice DFS tournament play, you know, I think a nice quarterback two in those leagues and you know. Like I would, I would start, I would start Derek Carr over Mitchell Trubisky this week. I think they're very close. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. by either one outscoring the other one. Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, every week starters, pretty much. I would rather wait and see on Brian Edwards than throwing him in there, even against the Panthers secondary the first week out. Yeah, agreed there. Um, you know, maybe a good guy to grab now though, if you can, yeah. because you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a nice game in Week One, and then he'll be a lot tougher to acquire on the waiver wire. Yeah, I would stash him. And, you know, he's he's a good answer if you're wondering, like, which handcuff in Pittsburgh or which pass catching Jaguars back do I need besides Chris Thompson? The answer is Brian Edwards, because he's somebody that you might actually use at some point. Yes, agreed. On the Panthers side, Teddy Bridgewater, similar deal to Derek Carr for me. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he finishes like 11th or 12th among quarterbacks this week. But there are just so many options that it, it, I, I can't like 
Teddy Bridgewater versus everybody else at the position, especially in the first game in this brand new offense. Yeah, that's the thing. I, th- I think he has a wide range of outcomes this week, just because it's a you know his first game with the Panthers, Matt Rule's first game as an NFL head coach. So we just you know don't, don't know exactly what this offense is going to look like out of the gate. But I do think the offense in general has upside. I think there's upside in this matchup. The Raiders were 31st in Football Outsiders' pass defense last season. They have a you know quite a few new starters, but it still doesn't it doesn't look like even a, a top half defense right now. Yeah, I will say I don't think that Teddy Bridgewater brings that like top five fantasy quarterback upside this week so that makes me less excited about him than maybe some other quarterbacks in that you know deep pool of options that could finish anywhere from like 8th to 20th this week yeah that's fair like to wait and see on Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel if I can uh just because I don't know what the target shares are going to look like for those guys I think they're each in play for flex consideration, like a fourth receiver type of role. I'm especially curious, though, to see Curtis Samuel's role, to see if he's going to get carries, again, to see what kind of target share he's looking at. Yeah, I'm with you there. I prefer Samuel among the two if I'm you know forced to pick between them, but would try to avoid the situation for now. Um, Ian Thomas was dealing with that toe injury late in August. He was a full go on Wednesday, so he's going to play. Hopefully you have a better tight end option, but that's another guy. We'll see exactly how big a role he's going to play in this passing game. I'm not even a little bit interested in Ian Thomas. It's fine. Philadelphia at Washington. It's a low over under at 42 and a half points. The Eagles are five and a half point favorites. Carson Wentz threw three touchdown passes in each meeting with Washington last year, even though in the second one, his target leaders were Zach Ertz, Greg Ward, and Boston Scott. <laughs> Miles Sanders was fourth on that list for that game. He scored twice in that matchup. He will be active for this one after missing a bunch of camp time with a hamstring injury. Not sure how big his role is going to be. There are murmurs that the team is going to limit his role uh, the first week out. Yeah, you know, we'll see what he's able to do in practice on Thursday and Friday here. He was limited on Wednesday. You know, it'd be nice to see him be a full go one of those days. It, it would be tough for me to sit Miles Sanders in season long, you know, even if he's going to be limited, even even if we get, you know, 12 carries and a handful of targets out of him, I still think he belongs in season long lineups. Probably a guy to stay away from in DFS, though. Yeah, I agree with that. I would have to be really freaking loaded and only be able to start two running backs to not play Miles Sanders in this right. matchup. I do think that there's some upside to Boston Scott. His He's fine on the injury front, right? He is, yeah. Corey Clement's there too, though, and I, I've yeah. seen some stuff saying he might play a bigger role than expected. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Clement and Scott split the work behind Sanders. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I think that Boston Scott's the the bigger upside guy, and I think he could be in play if you went with like a light running back build for your team, you know, zero RB type or modified zero RB. I wouldn't reach too far, but I'd play, I would probably give Boston Scott a spot over like James Robinson of the Jaguars. I'd go with Robinson there, but you know, if you're starting either of those guys, I I hope you're loaded at wide receiver and tight end and quarterback. Yeah. If you're starting either of these guys, then you're just looking for a warm body who's going to get some touches on Sunday. Right. Deshaun Jackson, an easy start in week one. We were talking him up all offseason, and it, it couldn't start better with Jalen Rager dealing with the shoulder injury. But Jalen Rager did put in a limited practice Wednesday, so uh, we'll see whether that means he might be available for the opener. At the very least, it's a good sign for week two. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't plan on using Rager in week one, you know, after he missed the past week or two, rookie wide receiver. I wouldn't expect him to have a huge role, even if he plays. Deshaun Jackson, the clear number one wide receiver, good matchup here. Um, DJX was healthy all summer, so he he should be in fantasy lineups. I think the other option here would be Dallas Goddard, especially if Rager's out. We know Alshon Jeffrey's out, so, you know, Goddard should be a pretty big part of this passing game, like we saw over the second half of last season when Philly was dealing with all those wide receiver injuries. 
Yeah, and Washington does not look strong at linebacker, does not look strong at safety beyond uh, Landon Collins. So it's definitely an upside spot for Dallas Goddard. It, it's tough for me. I was looking at the range at, at tight end from basically 10 to like 19 or even 20, 21. I, I could see guys that are in, I think Eric Ebron's like 20 or 21, and I could easily yeah. see him finish the week 12. But it's just tough to really like any particular player well ahead of other guys in that range. You know, if Dallas Goddard gets eight targets in this game, then absolutely I would love to start him. But what if Dallas Goddard only gets four targets and that's the range of guys we're talking about. And I could see either of those happening. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of nice. We probably shouldn't complain that we actually have like, you know, 22, you know, at least who we think are viable fantasy options at tight end right now. I think that, you know, we'll lose some of those as we get into the season when you start to see usage, but yeah, I agree. It is kind of jumbled. Um, you know, outside those top seven or eight tight ends. Mm-hmm. So Dallas Goddard is one of those that uh, if I'm weighing him against Hayden Hurst, I'm probably going Hayden Hurst because I think he's a better bet for targets, you know, being the owner of the uh, top tight end role on his team. Yeah, I would start Hurst over Goddard. I'd probably even start like TJ Hawkinson over Dallas Goddard, or just among the guys we've talked about so far. I'm interested to see JJ Ortega-Whiteside after a very buzzy camp for him, but I would rather not use him his first time out. No, he's he's not a season long option. You gotta you gotta see him do it, you know, in a regular season game, not just in training camp. You know, maybe in DFS. Um, I was looking at him, at him this morning. There's just, there's so many wideouts I want to play though. I don't even know if I'll be able to get uh, Jay Jaw in a DFS lineup. No, just you got to play more lineups though. <laughs> yeah. And if he scores twice in week one and is in a smaller lineup, we might not allow you on the um, podcast next week. Hey, if he scores twice, my my best ball scenes will be scoring well in week one. (laughs) Nice. On the Washington side, Terry McLaurin's an easy start. It's a good matchup. We'll see if Darius Slay changes anything as far as the Eagles wide receiver matchup, but they've been a generous team to wideouts. Yeah, and even Slay last year, he was 82nd among 115 corners in PFF's coverage grades. He was 87th in yards allowed per snap and coverage. So he's he's just not a guy I'm going to run away from as a as a matchup. So starting McLaurin, um, that's really the only guy I'd feel comfortable with on this Washington offense. I think Antonio Gibson is an option, a better option in PPR, but we just don't know how work's going to be split with J.D. McKissick there. I think he's going to be involved in the passing game a bit. Peyton Barber, I wouldn't be surprised if he like leads the backfield and, and carries this week. So uh, Gibson, definitely a risk-reward play. The matchup's not great either. Philly's you know, been a tough re- run defense for the past few years at least. Yeah, although we don't know how much of a running back Antonio Gibson actually is, so maybe it's, yeah. a, maybe it's a good matchup because their linebackers aren't very good. Um, I would have trouble deciding between Antonio Gibson and Matt Breida to put him kind of in context. Yeah, I, I'd lean towards Gibson, I guess. Maybe just because there's even more unknown there. I feel like there's a bit higher ceiling. Um, but yeah, they're they're similar. I mean, we, we, we don't know, you know the type of volume either guy is going to get early. Right. So if I drafted both of those guys and I took, let's say, <laughs> Gibson in round six and Breida in round eight, that'd probably be my tiebreaker for this week yeah. because neither has an awesome matchup as far as we know right now. Uh, and Gibson's is probably a little bit softer than Breida's in terms of overall defense. Yep, agreed. Uh, Steven Sims is an option, but well down the list. He's outside our top 50 in PPR. And actually, the Eagles upgraded at slot corner. They picked up Nickel Roby Coleman from the Rams. So that's one spot where they could be tougher. And really, there's just not enough for me to like about Steven Sims to go out of my way to play him. Yeah, hopefully you're not using Steven Sims this week. <laughs> Indianapolis at Jacksonville, 45-point over-under. The Colts are seven-and-a-half-point uh, road favorites. How many touches does Jonathan Taylor get in this game? We're all waiting to see that. 
if I drafted him, if I paid what I had to get to draft him, then I'm probably going to see that with him in my lineup in a game where his team is more than a touchdown favorite. I was going to say, you you couldn't ask for a a better spot to use both of these Colts running backs. Actually, I think, I think, you know, they're both solid RB2 options. I think both guys have RB1 upside with the Colts, big favorites, you know, just, just a total, total mismatch that Colts line against this Jags run defense. So, you know, even if, even if Mac out carries Taylor, which I think is, is possible in week one, you know, I think Taylor's a good bet for like 10 to 12 carries and he could do some serious damage on those. And, you know, if you look at our running back rankings, where Jonathan Taylor is, you're going to be like, what? Why is he that low? I, I drafted <laughs> this guy in round three, round four, because we don't know. We don't know how many carries are going to him. We don't know how many are going to Marlon Mack. We'll see. But if you drafted Jonathan Taylor, you should go ahead and use him this week and see what happens, unless you're loaded at running back and have other options. As far as the rest of the Colts' backfield, I'd rather wait on Naheem Hines because this doesn't look like a game where they really need what he adds to the backfield. I, you know, I'll be curious to see what his role is, but I would rather not bet on it when they're seven and a half point favorites. Yep. Wouldn't use Hines this week. If he does play a pretty big role in this spot, you know, with the Colts playing with the lead, that'll be encouraging for his outlook the rest of the way. T.Y. Hilton's an easy start. I think Paris Campbell is a flex consideration, but I would like to see some Paris Campbell in real games before trusting him in a lineup if I can. Yeah, me too. He, he's a DFS consideration for me. I know he's only 3,900 on DraftKings. So I think there, um, you know, in, in tournaments, he's an option. Can probably do better in season long. Um, we'll see how big a role Michael Pittman plays out of the gate. He's definitely in a void this week. I wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, like splitting snaps with Zach Pascal. Um, so it definitely looks like Campbell's the number two wide receiver for the Colts for now. Jack Doyle should be higher in our tight end ranking. <laughs> I think the only reason isn't is because he must have stolen Jared's girlfriend at some point during school. Uh, Jacksonville's 30th in tight end coverage DVOA last year. Trey Burton's opening the season on IR. Doyle has been cleared. He was dealing with a neck issue in camp, but he's ready for week one. He looks like a high floor play to me in the matchup and with Phillip Rivers under center. I mean, if you want five catches for like 45 yards, I mean, Doyle's those. No. You know, he, he's, he's, he's a solid option. Um, I guess my biggest knock against him here would just be low passing volume for the Colts in general in the game that should they, they should be able to control for the running game. Yep. I'll take five for 45 in that range. See, I'll, I'll take his floor over what I hope to get from some of the other guys. He's somebody, I, if I were deciding between Jack Doyle and Hayden Hurst, I think he's safer than Hayden Hurst. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if he goes five for 44, he's a you know top 12 tight end in PPR. The, mm-hmm. the bar is low. Phillip Rivers is another one of those guys that's a solid QB option this week and a fine matchup, but suffers from the deep well of options at that position. And like you mentioned, we could see lower pass volume than even normal from this team if the game goes according to the way the Vegas line thinks that it will. Yeah, I mean, I guess the mark in favor of Rivers is that implied total for the Colts. They have the seventh highest implied total of the week. So that would suggest that Rivers has pretty nice touchdown upside. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't think he's going to get a lot of volume and a lot of passing yardage in this spot. On the Jacksonville side, for me, no thanks beyond DJ Chark if I can help it. Yeah, he's the only locked-in starter. Um, you know, I think Minshew is in that range with guys like Bridgewater, Carr, Trubisky that we've talked about. Um, you know, the Jacks should be playing from behind in this one, like they're going to be playing for most of the season. Um, and Minshew has that rushing upside, um, which adds a little value. And I won't be shocked if Gardner Minshew is QB twelve at the end of this week. But I would play all those other guys ahead of them because I think they're much better bets for production. I think they have ceilings that are at least as high, and most of them have better matchups. The Colts look like they're an ascending defense. We'll see, but I, I think that there's a decent chance that they're a very good defense this year. Yeah, that, that secondary still looks 
questionable to me. Like I think Xavier Rhodes is washed up. You know, he was a high end corner at one point, but he hasn't been for the last couple of years now. And then it's going to be Rocky Sin on the other side, a second year corner who we know is subpar last season. So I, I think DJ Chark could have a big game here. Chris Thompson's okay. Uh, if I need to reach for a running back, um, but the Colts are even strong at linebacker. Last year, they were seventh in running back coverage DVOA. So it's not a great spot. The The upside for Chris Thompson is that, you know, you could see 10, 11 targets right. in this game if it goes the way we expect it to. Yeah, so uh, you know, Thompson is definitely the Jags back I'd use in PPR. I do think, you know, James Robinson almost has to have climbed your week one rankings over the past couple of days with Rakel Armstead landing on the COVID list again, Divino Zigbo on IR now. So he's out for the first three weeks. So it's James Robinson. It's Chris Thompson. Jacksonville added Dari Ogunbowale, who I don't expect to have much, if any role on offense in week one. So really, you know, Robinson should handle most of the ball carrying work. I, I just don't think that equals much production, you know, on this Jags offense, they're not going to be efficient. There's not going to be much, touchdown potential and um you know chris thompson's going to handle most of the pass catching stuff yeah and we don't even know what most of the ball carrying work means here if it's 11 carries to five or six for chris thompson i definitely don't want any part of 11 james robinson carries in a game they're going to lose by eight points so um I, i would love to not have to use them i'm not in james robinson camp no yeah i agree if you can avoid the backfield in general that's the way to go i, I do think robinson's worth Owning in most fantasy leagues, though, just as, you know, a, a guy with the potential to see, you know, 12 plus carries per week. Green Bay at Minnesota, 45 point over under here. The Vikings are two and a half point home favorites. Aaron Rodgers history at Minnesota. It has been seven years since he actually had a good fantasy line there. Back in 2013, 285 yards, two touchdowns. Since then, 209 and two in 2014, 212 and two in 2015. So both of those are okay, but not the kind of lines we're chasing. And since those, 213, one and an interception. He got knocked out the next season in his meeting with or his meeting at Minnesota. 198 and one in 2018, and then 216, zero touchdowns, one pick last year. I don't want any part of Aaron Rodgers, and I'm avoiding this offense as much as I can overall. Rodgers has struggled against Mike Zimmer's defense in general. If I want to make the case for him, you know, obviously there's there's no crowd this season. So again, we've talked about it. I don't know if you know being on the road is going to mean as much this year. We'll see about that. It's like a brand new. Viking secondary, you know, they're starting Colton Hill, rookie Jeff Gladney um, with Mike Hughes in the slot. So we'll see what that secondary looks like. There's no Danielle Hunter for this game, you know, Minnesota's best pass rusher. So I, it's a, it's a better spot for Rodgers than usual, but you know, he still sits outside our top 12 quarterbacks for week one. I mean, the secondary might be better for having renovated. I mean, they let all of those cornerbacks walk and even pushed uh, Xavier Rhodes out the door. So it's not like they lost guys that they liked. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the secondary is stronger and the safeties are remain excellent um, yep. over last year. So uh, I, I'm certainly not betting on Aaron Rodgers. And we talk about how densely populated the quarterback landscape is this week. I would rather play Phillip Rivers, for example, than Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers this week. I'd go Rodgers there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll keep that one in mind. Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones are weekly starters, I would say, for most teams. I'm not interested in any second running back or any other Packers pass catcher this week. Yeah, it's funny. For as bad as Rodgers has been against Minnesota, Devontae Adams has been awesome against Minnesota. He's gone over 100 yards or scored against them in each of the last four meetings. So he, he's obviously a fantasy starter. I think he's a good DFS play, too. Um, and then, yeah, Aaron Jones did well against the Vikings last year. 310 total yards three touchdowns in two games against the Vikings. Um, it doesn't sound like we need to worry about A.J. Dillon at all out of the gate. So, you know, we should get similar usage from Jones to what we got last season. 
and as far as Alan Lazard goes, I would play guys like Paris Campbell, Curtis Samuel, Randall Cobb over Alan Lazard. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you on all three of those guys. You know, we, we think Lazard's the number two wide receiver, but Marquez Valdez-Scantling was getting hype over the second half of training camp. So you know, I'll be watching the snap counts between Lazard and MVS. Was it the second half of training camp or was it like the last four days? Because all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. I hadn't heard anything about Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, Marquez Valdez-Scantling's having a camp here. It was, that, it was late, and Aaron Rodgers actually said some nice things about him, which is, is very rare. Yeah, and he was saying, I, I feel like he was saying bad things about him, or at least we were getting reports that he was frustrated with him last season. Yeah, I'm not sure he ever you know, came out and said MVS is, is playing like crap, but um, yeah, I think we saw a bunch of reactions from Rodgers on the field that you know, MVS wasn't doing what he expected him to. So I mean, he's a guy we were excited about last season. So definitely someone, if you know, if we see he ends up playing, you know, say 75% of the snaps in week one, he might be someone to grab off waiver wires. Yeah, I just turned on him so much this offseason after he disappeared completely yeah. over the second half of last season that it's been tough to rearrange my thinking as seeing hit the buzz about him lately. I'll be, I'll be curious to see if it's for real or if it's just like he had a good few days and he's being overhyped and he's now he's their new Jake Kumaro. <laughs> right. He, he was also dealing with an injury throughout most of the last season, which, you know, might've played a part in the disappointing season. Viking side, Dalvin cook, Adam Thielen are obvious green Bay was 26th in tight end coverage DVOA last year. So Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph, both have upside here. They're interesting down the list options, though. It's really tough to like either one a lot until we see what the target distribution is for both of them. And of course, we know this is likely to stay a run heavy offense. Yeah, I would definitely lean towards Irv Smith. Um, if you're deciding between those two, you know, he, he sort of seemed to be trending up over the second half of last season. Rudolph trended in the opposite direction. I think Irv Smith's going to take over as the, you know, the better fantasy play this season. But, you know, if, if Rudolph remains involved, that's going to make it tough for Irv Smith to be a guy we can count on. Mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins not close to climbing the dense QB list that we've been talking about for me this week. What about you? Yeah, no, he he struck. I mean, he he was so efficient last year, Cousins, but he struggled against the Packers. Forty eight percent completion rate, five point six yards per attempt, just uh, three hundred fifty two yards and two touchdowns in their two meetings. And Green Bay was much stronger against the pass than the run last year. I think it's going to be a similar story in twenty twenty. And I'm not excited about him, but I'm still willing to start the Vikings defense, even with no Daniil Hunter and the cornerback overhaul in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are, are better options, but Minnesota's okay if, you know, you left the draft with them and you can't pick anyone else up. Chargers at Cincinnati. It's a 405 kick, even though it's at Cincinnati, 405 Eastern, of course, 42 point over under. Chargers are three point road favorites. So disrespect for Joe Burrow in his first game. <laughs> Tyrod Taylor on the other side definitely carries top 12 upside along the lines of Mitchell Trubisky. And I, I, I would say I believe in Tyrod Taylor more. He, it's not like he has a much longer record of NFL starting than Mitchell Trubisky, though. It's just been longer since he was. people were questioning him. I would rather start someone safer in this first week if I can, though, in a season-long fantasy league. You know, we'll see about both this Chargers offense, which is without Phillip Rivers for the first time in a long time first time in my child my children's lifetimes <laughs> um, and the oc Ch- shane steichen has just a half season of coordinating behind him so far yeah um i, I would start tyrod though over i think all these fringe options we've talked about. like i'd start him over mitchell trubisky i'd start him over Carr and bridgewater i might even consider starting tyrod over aaron Rodgers this week we know tyrod brings the rushing ability um he's averaged 36 yards and 0.3 touchdowns per game on the ground across his 46 career starts so that helps matchup here is awesome too i mean it'd be, it'd be nice if if tyrod had a healthy mike williams mike williams it sounds like he has a chance to play but 
not counting on at this point, but you know, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler in the passing game, they all have excellent matchups. So, you know, that obviously boosts Tyrod Taylor's passing upside as well as the rushing stuff. I would start Tyrod over Aaron Rodgers, and then I would spend all of Sunday doing the discount double check celebration <laughs> every time he did anything. I agree. Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, all fairly easy starts on their own in addition to helping Tyrod Taylor here. Mike Williams, you mentioned there's a chance he plays through the shoulder injury. I would try to wait if I can rather than tossing him into my lineup just in case there's risk of re-injury there. Yeah, I mean, if he was healthy in this matchup, I think we'd be talking about him as, you know, a nice wide receiver three, but I'd avoid him with the shoulder thing. Um, it's, it's just a very concentrated, you know, target tree with the Chargers here, which you know helps make all these guys easier fantasy plays. I wouldn't mind, however, putting a Tyrod Taylor, Mike Williams lineup into a fantasy turn or into a DFS tournament. I will have plenty of Tyrod Taylor in DFS this week. Upside for the Chargers defense in this matchup. It could be a really good defense this year. There's also downside, though, if Joe Burrow is really just as good as advertised and ready to show it right away. Yeah, that's definitely possible. I, I just think, I mean, Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram against this Bengals O-line, and maybe the Bengals O-line is better this season. They are getting Jonah Williams back, the rookie, their, you know, last year's rookie that missed the entire season. But I, it, it looks like a big match, a big mismatch to me. Um, so I think as, as much as I love Joe Burrow, I think he might struggle in his debut here. And Chargers are also very strong at corner. Safety is a little weaker with Derwin James going down again. But, yeah, there's lots of talent at every level. Could be a very good defense this year. On the Bengals' side, I would rather not start Joe Burrow right away. I absolutely think that there's, you know, the upside for him to be top 10 quarterback this week. But as I said, I think this could be a top level defense on the Chargers side. It, it could be a rough start for him. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I would definitely prefer Tyrod Taylor just in this game. I guess Burrow, though, is sort of in the mix with those other guys like uh, Derek Carr, Teddy Bridgewater, because we know he has the talent. We know he has that rushing upside and, you know, the weapons are good here, too. Although it does sound like A.J. Green is going to be limited here in week one after, you know, missing a, a good chunk of the summer. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if his role is limited. He did. There was just a tweet that said he says his hamstring is back to 100%. So he's at least feeling good. I wouldn't be surprised if they limit his playing time still. I would play Joe Burrow over like Gardner Minshew. It would be a tough choice for me between Burrow and Phillip Rivers, and I would play Derek Carr over both of those guys. Yeah, I'd probably play Burrow over all those guys, even though I've, you know, we said the matchup's tough, but I just, I, again, I believe in him. I believe in the weapons. And he, you know, again, he has that rushing upside, which a lot of those other guys, I guess, besides like Gardner Minshew, they don't really bring to the table. I wouldn't have much hesitation playing Tyler Boyd, obviously, depending on how loaded my roster is at wide receiver. Like I'm, I'm playing upside guys like Deshaun Jackson and Marquise Brown over him if those guys are my like third and fourth wide receivers. But Otherwise, I wouldn't hesitate too much. He's inside our top 30. It could be one of the toughest, if not the toughest matchups for him all season against this Chargers secondary. But Tyler Boyd, he's already been talked up by Joe Burrow saying he's going to have a big season. So at the very least, <laughs> that makes it sound like we'll see plenty of Tyler Boyd targets. Right. Yeah. Tough, tough matchup. But as you said, um, it sounds like Burrow and Boyd, you know, developed a strong rapport in camp. I also think, you know, again, with that Chargers pass, pass rush, we should see, should see the Bengals, you know, focusing on shorter passes in this spot, which, you know, suits Boyd's game well. Even with AJ Green looking like he's fine to play, and even if we don't get any report that he's going to be limited, I would yeah. rather wait and see what he does before using him. Yeah, agreed. Probably limited, tough matchup. Um, if possible, a good, a good spot to keep Green on your bench for now. Arizona at San Francisco with a 48 and a half point over under the Niners are seven point home favorites here. It's finally the first look at this Cardinals offense this year to see if it's overhyped as I think it might be, <laughs> or if it's ready to break out. 
I think that you need to start any of the big three Cardinals if you drafted them. Kenyon Drake, DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray, you know, we'll see how they go. Christian Kirk is on the fringe. The 49ers are probably weaker, though, at their number two corner spot than at nearly any other spot on the defense. That said, uh, Hopkins should draw primary Richard Sherman coverage, but Richard Sherman stays glued to left cornerback. He does not shadow anybody. So uh, Arizona wouldn't have to work too hard to get DeAndre Hopkins away from Richard Sherman. Yeah, um, I guess I'd probably lean against playing Christian Kirk if I could help it. Um, he struggled against this defense last year, just 49 scoreless yards in the two games against the 49ers, and that came on 14 targets. You know, it, it de- It's definitely going to help Kirk this week and throughout the season having DeAndre Hopkins there and drawing the coverage. But as you said, um, Kirk is going to see his fair share of Sherman too when he's on that side of the field. Um, so I would, I would lean against playing Kirk if possible. Yeah, I would lean against him as well, but I'm okay with using him down in the range where he sits in our rankings. Um, anybody else on the Cardinal side before we talk Niners? Nope. Uh, you, you mentioned Kyler Murray. He did well against uh, this defense last season. He was a top twelve or a top ten fantasy quarterback in both weeks. And then Kenny and Drake is out of his walking boot. He's not even not even on the Week One injury report. So I don't think that foot issue that he had um, for a part of August there is any concern anymore. He says he was sitting out more for illness than the foot. You know, we'll see. But certainly, <laughs> if you drafted Drake. Let me fire him up this week. Yep. 49ers side, Jimmy Garoppolo went for 317 and four touchdowns and then 424 and four touchdowns in two meetings with the Cardinals last year. So if you drafted him, this is basically the only matchup that you drafted him for. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, he's a top 12 quarterback in our week one rankings. It'd be nice if he had Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. It seems like they're both going to be out for this game. But, um, you know, Grappolo put up those big numbers last year without, you know, uh, a loaded pass catching core. He even That second game even came without George Kittle. Um, so he, he's proved capable of beating this Cardinals defense without, you know, a strong pass catching core. Yeah, Cardinals added some pieces on defense, but I don't think they added anything that says this is going to be a really good defense now. And they they filled their right. hole. So we'll see what happens. I don't even know if Isaiah Simmons is going to be a starter <laughs> with the Cardinals right away. So I, I agree. I, I don't I'm not excited about Jimmy Garoppolo, but I can't deny that he's a solid option this week and probably a higher floor play than the other quarterbacks we've been talking about. Yep, quarterback three and quarterback one in those two games against the Cardinals last season. Raheem Mostert looks like a starter. Uh, We will see about the backfield work split, but obviously he drafted him well ahead of other Niners running backs. I would try not to use Tevin Coleman while we see what happens here. And, you know, if you're a Mostert owner, you cross your fingers that Tevin Coleman doesn't come out and carry the ball 20 times, which we've seen as a possibility. (laughs) Very curious to see how much usage Jarek McKinnon gets. Yeah, I'm curious to see the backfield split in general here. Um, the Cardinals were actually a better run defense last year than I guess I had remembered. They were sixth in football outsiders run defense, DVOA. They also did well against this Niners rushing attack. San Francisco RBs combined for just 128 rushing yards in their two meetings last season. Anything else from that side? Uh, no, I mean, so it's going to be Kendrick Bourne and Trent Taylor probably is the top two uh, wide receivers in San Francisco. I would avoid Bourne just because he's probably going to see a lot of Patrick Peterson. Uh, I think Trent Taylor is probably the better play, but not a lot of upside with Trent Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I think we're talking about DFS options here. If you have to reach yeah. that far for your week one lineup, then you're playing in a really uh, an impressively deep league. <laughs> right. Or you're off to a rough start. Tampa Bay at New Orleans and over under 49 here. Three and a half point favorites are the Saints at home. Mike Evans is the big story. He's iffy with a hamstring. I would be planning to not use him as of right now. We'll obviously track his status throughout the rest of the week. Likely going to be a Sunday morning decision. And the tough part of that is you're probably you might have to decide whether to use Mike Evans before the one o'clock Eastern game start, even though his kickoff isn't until four twenty-five. 
Yeah, Evans didn't practice on Wednesday. It sounds like he wasn't practicing on Thursday. We haven't got the official report from Tampa yet. But um, and, and beyond that, he already sat lower in our week one rankings than he usually will because he has the Marshawn Lattimore matchup. He's struggled for the most part against Marshawn Lattimore, had zero catches in their first matchup last year, four catches for 69 yards in the second. So, yeah, I agree. I would at this point plan not on using Mike Evans. If you do want to wait on Mike Evans, you could stash Scotty Miller as like the fallback in case Mike Evans turns up inactive for that game. He's an interesting name to keep in mind for DFS purposes. I would rather not use Scotty Miller in week one, even if Mike Evans is out of the game though. Yeah, agreed. I would start Ronald Jones over all Lions running backs, for example, and really all the pass catching running backs that we've talked about along the lines of Tariq Cohen, probably even over Matt Breida. I mean, you know, we'll see. It might look foolish three days from now. But Bruce Arians continues to talk as though Ronald Jones is his lead back. So all I can do right now is take Bruce Arians at his word and at least figure that Ronald Jones is the lead back for week one. Yeah, that's what I'm expecting. You know, we know, you know, Bruce Arians said Ronald Jones is still our guy after the Fournette uh, pickup. Arians also said Fournette will have a quote unquote solid role in week one. So, you know, Bruce Arians is is talking out of both sides of his his mouth there. It's a, it's also a tough matchup. Uh, New Orleans run D was tough last season. I think it's going to be tough again this year. They allowed the six fewest PPR points to running backs last year. So, I think you consider Jones an RB three this week. If you draft him, you just hope he plays well. He doesn't make any you know major mistakes so that he can you know keep that spot atop the depth chart going forward. Yeah, don't miss a blitz pickup and get Tom Brady decapitated because that can (laughs) sideline him for the rest of the game. That would be the the big thing. Let's just hope that his mouth is the only thing that Bruce Arians is talking out of at this point. (laughs) I would be trying not to use Leonard Fournette. I mean, you might need to if you drafted him in in round four, even after he joined the Bucs. Maybe you just don't have stronger options. But uh, as you mentioned with the defense and and with the scoring here, I mean, I I would hope to not have to use Fournette this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I would expect only like, you know, five to eight touches for Leonard Fournette here. We'll see about that. Um, where are you at with Tom Brady, especially, you know, if we're assuming Mike Evans isn't going to play because um, it's, it's you know, it's a projected high scoring game, but it's, it's not an easy matchup for Brady against this Saints defense. I would say if Mike Evans is out, I'll I will knock Tom Brady out of the top 12. At the moment, I would have to go ahead and start Brady if Mike Evans is playing in the game, even with the, the hamstring question. I would be kicking myself Monday if I play somebody, I don't know, like Tyrod Taylor over Tom Brady and Tyrod, you know, just has an average day, doesn't account for any touchdowns. And Brady is locked in this matchup that ends like 36 to 30. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, you know, I think I'd probably dump Brady behind like Jimmy Garoppolo if no Mike Evans, but I'd probably stick with Brady over someone like Tyrod Taylor. I mean, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, OJ Howard, you know, he still has enough weapons to work with. And and I am expecting this to be a higher scoring game, even though, you know, both these defenses I think are, you know, I think better than a lot of people realize. Yeah. I mean, look back last year at the Saints Niners matchup in New Orleans. I think it was last year. It might've even been the year before, but I mean, you just, you, you should expect there to be a bunch of points. And if it doesn't happen, you know, if I take the loss in week one, because I started Tom Brady, I'll take that loss and try to rebound it beyond that. Sure. The Saints, by the way, have also been tough on tight ends even before this season. And then they imported Malcolm Jenkins from the Eagles. So I would love to not use any Buccaneers tight end in this game, especially because OJ Howard's been the one getting buzz out of camp. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if OJ Howard winds up being a better fantasy tight end than Rob Gronkowski this season. Yeah, I was very comfortable saying, you know, to bench Gronkowski and Howard here 
before the Evans injury, I do think if Evans is out, it makes those guys a bit more interesting. Um, you know, with guys like Scotty Miller and Justin Watson next up on the wide receiver depth chart, I think it, it would have to mean more passing game usage for Gronkowski and Howard. Mm-hmm. I think there are too many options for me to still like either one in full season redraft, but I think yeah. as far as DFS options, they would certainly gain upside if Mike Evans is sitting. Yeah, I agree. On the Saints side, I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about, really. You're playing everyone. That does not include Latavius Murray for me. It does include Jared Cook and Emmanuel Sanders at appropriate levels. I think Emmanuel Sanders is fine as like a low wide receiver three. I think he's in the mix there. He's sitting tied for 40th in our PPR rankings right now. But I would play him over A.J. Green. I might play him over Devontae Parker. Yeah, I think that's about the range he belongs. I mean, at least we know Sanders is healthy. Um, you know, it, it's obviously his his first game with the Saints, um, so there's some risk there. He had, he had a quiet camp. I didn't hear anything about Sanders, good or bad, but it's, it, it's just a good spot, you know, in a likely shootout at home for Emmanuel Sanders. I feel better about you know Jared Cook at their respective positions than Emmanuel Sanders. I like that you know Cook has a year under his belt with Breeze in this Saints offense. I just think he's a good touchdown bet with a high team total for the Saints here. Yeah. Kind of an interesting matchup for him because the Bucks are strong at linebacker, but highly questionable at, tight, at uh, safety. We'll see about Antoine Winfield Jr., the second round pick. Looks like he's going to start. He could be a tougher matchup for tight ends, but you know, heading into week one, we can't say, well, I'm going to downgrade Jared Cook because right. the Bucks have a, a good looking second round rookie safety playing. Yeah, Tampa was 23rd last year in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. Dallas at the Rams on Sunday night. It's a 51-point over-under. The Cowboys are three-point road favorites. That's up from a one-point open. Dak Prescott had pretty significant home-road splits last year. That said, I'm going to play him here against the Rams unless I like drafted stupidly at quarterback and took him and Deshaun Watson back-to-back. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I know the home-road splits have been there, but I, I expect Dak to be pretty much matchup-proof this season in a guy you're starting every week. These two teams met last year. It was the it was forty four to twenty one final. The Cowboys had I think the Cowboys were up twenty eight to three at halftime. Dak Prescott went for two hundred twelve yards and two touchdowns. That came on just twenty three pass attempts. So you know, if the Rams make this a, a closer game on Sunday night, and I, I think they will, I think Dak will have a nice game. Yeah, I I would play Dak Prescott. And, you know, we'll see if the home road things carry over. But his his offense is even more loaded now than it was last year. Zeke Elliott's yeah. an obvious one that we're not going to be talking about. I think Amari Cooper is the first guy that there's a question on. It doesn't look like there's an injury that's actually threatening his status. He did miss some camp practices, though. The, the Cowboys wouldn't say a whole lot about it. So maybe it was nothing. Maybe it was just um, preserving a veteran. But Amari Cooper is also a little bit young to need that kind of preservation. Uh, so... It does make me a little bit more hesitant with him, and it's easier for me to be hesitant with him for two reasons. Because uh, one, he his home road splits were drastic last year. Uh, at home, he averaged six and a half receptions per game, sixteen point yards, sixteen point seven yards per catch, seventy seven point six catch rate on the road, three point four receptions per game, eleven point nine yards per catch, fifty one point nine percent catch rate. We've seen Amari Cooper not play particularly well through injury when he has dealt with minor dings in the past. Last year against the Rams in that game you mentioned before, he only saw two targets, caught one for 19. That was after Jalen Ramsey joined the team. It does look like he'll see the most of Jalen Ramsey in coverage. You know, we'll see how the Cowboys are going to move around their wide receivers. But if I had to guess, I would guess that Amari Cooper sees more Jalen Ramsey than either Michael Gallup or CeeDee Lamb does because he is their lead receiver. And the other part of that is Amari Cooper is not 
like the dominant number one here. There are teams that will need to force the ball to their top receiver because he's just that much better than the other wideouts, and that's their game plan. That's not the case in Dallas. Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb are both very good players. There's so much on this offense. The Cowboys can be like, that's fine. If you're going to send Jalen Ramsey everywhere with Mari Cooper, or we're just going to throw to the other guys. Yeah, I think Cooper should be downgraded this week for all those reasons you mentioned the home road splits the hamstring injury whether it's a concern or not I think you know they at least adds some risk and the Jalen Ramsey potential matchup Um, I'll be curious to see how the Cowboys are going to deploy their wide receivers this season I think it's possible that Cooper plays you know like half of his snaps in the slot this year and I think that'd be awesome if you look at his splits for his career he's been much better in the slot than outside. So I think it makes sense for Dallas to use him there with CD lamb and Michael Gallup on the outside. All that said, I would, I would still have trouble benching Amari Cooper. I just think he needs to be downgraded a bit this week, but um, I'm just so high in this Cowboys passing game. And I still think, you know, Cooper is the best bet for fantasy production among the wide receivers, even on the road, huh? I looked into the home road splits last year too. I think they're a bit misleading because two of those games were when he was severely limited by injuries. The Jets game, he played like four snaps. The Lions game, I think he was under 50% snap rate. He did have 44 yards in a score in week two at Washington, 80 yards in a score at the Giants, 83 yards in a score at Chicago. So he had, he did have some nice games on the road last season. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly, he certainly did enough to show you that he's not just like a zero on the road, but uh, yeah. I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see. I'll be curious. I, I, I'm glad I, I don't in setting my lineups. I don't have that many Amari Cooper decisions. It's one of those that I'm going to be apprehensive of this week because yeah, I mean, sitting Amari Cooper is not a comfy option either. Yeah. I would play Cooper in season long. I think in DFS though, he's a fade and you play Michael Gallup and or CD lamb instead. Like you said, I'll be curious to see which one spends the most time in the slot. The Rams could prove particularly vulnerable there. I mentioned Nicole, Nickel Roby Coleman going to the Eagles. He left the Rams, and in his place, we don't even know yet who's going to be the slot corner. It's either David Long, who was a third-round pick last year who barely played as a rookie, or it's Darius Williams, who was a 27-year-old un- former undrafted free agent who has three career starts, and all three of those came last year after other Rams corners got injured. Yeah, so I, I think Michael Gallup is the best play among these Cowboys wide receivers this week. Um, you know, he's going to have a, a solid matchup if we think Jalen Ramsey spends the majority of the game on Amari Cooper. Gallup also last year, he was actually better. He averaged more catches and yards per game on the road than he did at home. So we don't got to worry about the home road splits for Gallup. Yeah, he's young enough. He doesn't care about traveling. He's <laughs> fine in hotel beds. Um, all these wideouts are in play, which is why they're worth talking about. Another guy who is clearly in play is Blake Jarwin, though. Everything is aligning for a Blake Jarwin breakthrough immediately. The Rams were fourth and ninth in coverage last year, DVOA, according to Football Outsiders, against wide receiver ones and wide receiver twos, 21st against tight ends. And since then, they lost Corey Littleton, who was their lead coverage linebacker and just, you know, generally believed to be among the best coverage linebackers in the league. They also lost safety Eric Weddle to retirement. Replacement Taylor Rapp missed most of uh, training camp, basically all of training camp, with a knee injury. So he could be a little rusty coming back. Here comes Blake Jarwin, who just got talked up by his quarterback. I think it's going to be an immediate breakout. Yeah, I'm with you. Um Jarwood and Jason Witten combined for 76 yards and a score on six catches against the Rams last season. And again, that was with Dak Prescott only attempting 23 passes, only throwing for 212 yards. So it seems like the Cowboys looked to attack with their tight ends in that matchup last season. So yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a, it's a great spot for Jarwin. I can't wait to get to Monday and find Blake Jarwin be tight end one for the week. (laughs) 
Now he's going to be injured. On the Rams side, I don't think there's anything really sneaky. Robert Wood, Cooper Cup are both in lineups. Daryl Henderson's hamstring limited camp. I know he's expected to be back and he's going to have some role, but the fact that he missed most of training camp just makes me that much more comfortable with going ahead and using Cam Akers. Yeah, I mean, I, Akers is still, to me, clearly the best player. I do think the fact that Henderson's going to play, and he, he was a full go in Wednesday's practice, so it seems like the hamstring injury is pretty much behind him. It obviously adds more risk to Cam Akers. I think Akers like, is like a running back three or flex play now, and if you have him, you just hope he sort of establishes himself as the best running back in L.A. in, in uh, week one. Yeah, certainly not somebody I'm excited about, but I feel better about Cam Akers right now than I would have if Daryl Henderson were healthy and active all through camp. Tyler Higby posted a huge game in that one against Dallas. It, it, that, that game was basically a half game for the Cowboys because, as you mentioned, they were dominating, and then they basically did nothing in the second half. It was Tony Pollard time in the second half. Um, but Tyler Higby had a huge game, 10 catches for, I think it was 118 yards. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, it's de- if you drafted Tyler Higby, you know, we'll all see exactly what this year is going to look like for him after that late season breakout. But it's a good spot to go ahead and start him while we're finding out. Yeah, Dallas was 31st in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends last season. Um, yeah, that was that was, you know, one of those big games Higby had over the second half, you know, down the stretch last season. So like him this week. Um, Jared Goss, a guy I got a bit more worried about after digging into this game. You know, we know Goff struggles when pressured, and the Cowboys, you know, seem to have a pretty strong pass rush now after adding Everson Griffin to Demarcus Lawrence. So that, you know, that that's gonna be the key to this game on the Ram side is, you know, can can they protect Goff enough? Yeah, he's floating in that range of guys. I don't know if they're going to finish 11th or 17th. So I'm kind of fine where Jared Goff is going. I'm not excited about him versus other players in that range. Yeah, like, you know, I, I prefer um, Jimmy Garoppolo to Jared Goff. We'll talk about Ben Roethlisberger here. I think I prefer him to Jared Goff. And I think, you know, Tyrod Taylor's guy I would have to think long and hard about, about using over Jared Goff this week. I would probably play Tyrod Taylor over Jared Goff just because – if things are rough for both of them, at least Tyrod Taylor has the rushing. So there's yeah. kind of the safety yeah. for him. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Tyrod feels safer to me. Yeah. Um, I think Goff you know, has a wider range of outcomes. I could see him having a big game here because this game has shootout potential. Are we ready to hit Pittsburgh at Giants? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger, I'm starting pretty easily over Jared Goff. All good reports on his elbow this summer. So, you know, we entered the summer with questions about it, but every report was like, his elbow looks excellent. It might even be stronger than it was before. And we've heard that about guys getting their elbows reconstructed. Now, the question might be road, Ben. I mean, we talk about home versus road, but if we look back to 2018, Ben Roethlisberger actually had a slightly higher completion rate in road games than he did at home. He had 7.8 yards per attempt on the road versus 7.4 at home, 15 touchdowns to nine interceptions in road games. So I think road Ben might be a little bit overblown. I'm certainly not worried about him against this Giants defense. And as we said, I mean, we don't know how much home road is even going to matter this year with the no or limited fans. Um, The Steelers have the fifth highest implied total of the week and the, the Giants the secondary, especially the defense in general, looks like one of the worst units in the league. I think it's going to be a defense we're attacking all season. So definitely a good spot for Ben and the Steelers offense to you know get going after an ugly 2019. Yeah, good spots for Juju Smith-Schuster. Fine spot for James Conner. They were tougher on the run than the past, but I'm certainly not sitting James Conner for this matchup. Yeah, I mean, a healthy Conner, I expect to be like an RB1 weekly. So you're definitely using him here. I think Deontay Johnson is a nice play this week too in this plus matchup. Yeah, I agree. He's somebody that I would consider over Amari Cooper, but it would be it would be a personal decision rather than me saying for sure Deontay Johnson's a better play than Amari Cooper. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd have to go Cooper there, but you know, I think Deontay Johnson, I'd play over guys like Devontae Parker. Eric Ebron suffers a bit for the wealth of options at tight end, as I mentioned before, but there's certainly upside to him, even if he's all the way down to like 20 or 21 in our rankings for the week. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Ebron had a really strong camp. Um, again, there's you know nothing to worry about with this matchup. The Steelers have the high implied total. So, you know, it seems like Ebron should be a pretty good touchdown bet here, even if, you know, we can't project him to get the type of volume we're going to, you know, get from someone like a, a Hayden Hurst or a Jack Doyle. A question in the chat about whether we'd start Deontay Johnson over Michael Gallup or Robert Woods. I would say no. I would start both Michael Gallup and Robert Woods over Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I mean, Woods to me is a must start every week. And then again, uh, Gallup, I really like in this spot if we think Jalen Ramsey's going to be on Amari Cooper for most of the game. On the Giants side, I would rather not play anyone not named Saquon Barkley. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. I think the I think Evan Ingram is the guy I you know consider. I think he's a low end tight end one this week. At least he's healthy. Like that's the best thing we can say about Ingram here. Um, but it's a, a tough matchup. The Steelers were third in Football Outsiders tight end coverage rankings last season. Yeah, I would like to start somebody over Evan Ingram, but I mean, if I if he's going to get ten targets, then it's it would be tough to sit him, and then that's certainly within the the realm of possibilities. Yep. Tennessee at Denver, the last game, late Monday night. It's a 40-and-a-half-point over-under, so we don't want to do too much fantasy-wise. Titans are two-point road favorites. Like I said, I would like to avoid players beyond the obvious options. Derrick Henry is one of those obvious. I think if you drafted A.J. Brown, which I didn't at what you had to pay for him, I think you have to play him here. And then I think on the Denver side, Cortland Sutton's kind of in the same territory as A.J. Brown. There's no worrisome matchup that makes you sit Cortland Sutton if you believed in him at draft time. Yeah, and the matchup for Tennessee obviously got a lot easier with Von Miller out for it. Looks like he's likely out for the season, definitely out for this game. The Titans actually went from one and a half point underdogs to two point favorites just after that injury. A pretty you know big swing in the numbers. So you know easier matchup for Ryan Tannehill. I don't know. It, it seems like another game where you know, he's not going to have volume. We saw him do it despite not having volume last season, but still not something I want to be betting on you know on a weekly basis, and especially in week one with no bye weeks. Yeah, again, I mean, if there were not 25 quarterbacks that I could use, I might, I might be, I might be looking at the upside on Ryan Tannehill. But as it is, it's like, why? why? I don't, I just don't need to. Yeah, it definitely feels like a Derrick Henry game. You know, you're obviously starting him. I'll be curious to see though how much Darrington Evans plays, and you know, if Henry does get a bit more action in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Melvin Gordon, okay, option in RB two range. Not anybody I've been excited about at any point, but. Again, there's nothing scary about the matchup if you drafted him and if Melvin Gordon's in a position to be your number two running back. Yeah, another backfield split. I'll be curious to you know see what it looks like. Um, you know, especially late in camp, it sounded like Philip Lindsay might have you know I don't know played his way into a bigger role, or you know Melvin Gordon missed some time with a rib injury. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I still expect Gordon to be the lead guy to get most of the pass catching work, to get the goal line work. Um, so he he's the play in week one. I think Lindsay. Should be on benches, but you know, Lindsey definitely a guy who who should be on fantasy rosters because it's possible he plays a bigger role than than we expected this season. The passing game is key there, and that's why I wouldn't worry as much with Melvin Gordon as I might with some other running backs because Philip Lindsey has been terrific running the ball. He's been awful in the passing game, hasn't been efficient as a receiver, and he's been brutal as a pass protector. So at the very least, Melvin Gordon should control that area. And that should um, get him past any concerns about splitting um, ball carrying duties. Yeah, again, Gordon should control the pass catching work, and he should control the goal line work. You know, just as the much bigger back, he's been good around the goal line for most of his career. So, you know, th- those are the touches we care about in fantasy. Tight ends on both sides. There's upside to Johnny Smith. There's upside uh, to mm-hmm. Noah Fant. 
it's too crowded a position for me to get excited about either guy, but you know, if either one's your tight end one, I think it's a fine spot. Yeah. Both in that, you know, range of, you know, 12 to 15 tight ends um, that we're kind of just guessing at this point. You know, I, I would say I don't expect this to be a high scoring game. So I don't think either guy is a great touchdown bet. So maybe that, you know, makes you lean towards someone like Hayden Hurst and what should be a more high scoring game. This is where you get annoyed that you drafted two good tight ends. Because <laughs> right. None of us really knows what the matchups are for anybody heading into this week. So you're picking between two guys that are basically a coin flip. I wish that there were more I could say about who's right and who's wrong between Johnny Smith and Noah Fan and other similar guys. But, you know, some of it we're just waiting to see. I actually have Fant and Smith on quite a few teams. And some are best ball, but there's at least one lineup setting league. I have them both. And I'm going with Fant. Um, I, I just think he's a slightly better volume bet this week. I can see that. That's going to do it for this week one preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see exactly how we rank all these players. Your My Teams page will also take those weekly projections, apply them to your scoring system, give you customized start-sit recommendations if you're a DS insider. And, of course, you can find our DFS content starting up over there. We'll be back both on the stream and on the podcast tomorrow for our first DFF shows of the year. And that's going to include a special new contributor that we will introduce to you then. So be sure to join us. In the meantime, you can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 